0: Welcome to Rants About Humanity, a podcast where we interview guest experts with passionate opinions about important topics that don't get enough attention. Raw, unfiltered, thought provoking perspectives with no censorship. With your host, Philip Van Houta.
1: Welcome everyone to the Rants About Humanity podcast. Today I have Munir Lazuni as a guest. Munir is an expert fitness coach, business coach, life coach, who has helped hundreds of business owners all over the world to lose weight, get in shape, make more money, and crush it over all walks of life. Thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. Were you always so fit? Because a lot of people who get obsessed with being fit, they were either fat or they wanted to get... Shakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well,
2: uh, thanks again for having me, bro. It's an honor. And yeah, I mean, I started off very unathletic with a belly and skinny arms. So, like the worst combination where, you know, at least if you're overweight and you have some muscle, that's good. But if you've got like a belly and you got skinny arms, that was me when I first started 12 years ago. And, you know, I took a passion for lifting weights. And, you know, thankfully I was lucky enough to find the right research and become obsessed with it and achieve quite a bit of progress at a fairly young age. And the funny thing though, is when I actually got into the whole business world, my first experience as you know being a business person was as a manager of a gym. I started finding myself getting overweight because I was really busy. I was more stressed, had a lot of different demands on my schedule and on my mental capacity that took a lot away from the fitness routine that I had when I was younger. And of course, when I started my own business, I encountered some of the same challenges despite the fact that I've been in the fitness industry the whole time. So even fitness industry people aren't immune.
1: Yeah. And this is often also the thing that I wonder, you know, I know that someone who's fat can also coach people how to lose weight, but there's something incongruent of someone who's overweight and fat who's going to teach me how to be healthy and lose weight. Exactly. So, you know, it became embarrassing that I gained the weight, not
2: just intrinsically, but also from like a business perspective, because even if I had the knowledge, I wasn't really living in integrity with those principles. So that's you know, a big thing about this is that it's very much a mental thing. And that's why a lot of the principles that we teach as far as mindset, obviously the main outcome we're looking to produce is losing weight or gaining muscle or both, but there are byproducts where it, it positively impacts your business because you start to have a stronger and more disciplined mindset. You're more in integrity with yourself. And of course it affects your personal relationships. It affects everything. So, you know, I like to consider myself a mindset coach with a focus
1: on fitness, but these principles apply everywhere else as well. Why is food so much your religion? Food. Well, um, in general, there's so much diets and sometimes it's like a cult and people swear by like a unique method. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's
2: just because like people get really passionate when they find something that works. Right. And they think that it works for everybody. But the thing is that everybody has different genetics, different lifestyle, different preferences. So it just depends on the person, right? Like some people are going to respond really well to keto. Some people respond really well to fasting. Other people, fasting screws them up. Like people who are very... High stress type A, where they already have high cortisol, which is a stress hormone. If they start doing fasting for a lot of people, it can have a very negative impact because it can increase cortisol versus somebody who's a little more laid back, chill type B, they respond a little better to fasting. Some people, their genetics are better equipped for vegan. Some people are better equipped for carnivore. So, you know, it's weird because you almost have to experiment multiple things to figure out what works for you. But obviously, with the right guidance, you can shorten that feedback loop and figure it out pretty quick within, you know, usually about four weeks is how long it takes to really lock in the right ideal diet and then just. Not being married to one strategy, but rather being flexible with that strategy, knowing the principles, you can keep adjusting it for whatever season of your life you're in. Like, let's say, you know, I have a client, for instance, who's uh, an insurance salesperson, right? So his busy season starts in November. So prior to November, we were utilizing a different strategy from what we're using now in November because his schedule is different, his lifestyle is different, his stress is different. And therefore, we need to have the flexibility to adapt the strategy for his lifestyle to make sure it still works and it's still sustainable, if that makes sense. So We're both the people on the
1: podcast who talk pretty fast. I love it. Yeah, yeah. people tell me like I'm a fucking fast talker. Uh, I love the fact what you say because I also do the same thing in all my coaching. I think you should adapt whether it's like business to your lifestyle and personality, not the other way around. And I see it all the time. This one-size-fits-all approaches. like, you know, you have someone who works with gut problems, right? And you can talk about trauma or whatever. You come to the person, oh, it's your gut, man it's your third chakra, man. Like he's not even, or she's not even listening to me. It's like, she's <laughs> going to prescribe anyway, the same solution. And it probably is powerful for a lot of people. It works for that person, but I see it all the time where people write books. You should structure the day and be super productive and plan everything. Yes. But I know some people, or clients of mine, like that structure that doesn't work for them. It, it reduces the flow. So it kind of depends on what is sustainable as an approach because also you have these diet approaches. And I think, It's not about diet changes. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, and it can be mentally, physically. It's about lifestyle changes that you can keep up with because else you're going to be resentful, shameful that you can't keep up. And then you go back to the place where you are, or you're even worse than the place than where you started. Exactly. It's
2: just like what you would do for somebody in business where it's like, okay, great. We need to have the right strategy that hits all the different lead measures and actions and inputs to produce the lag measures and outcomes that we want inside a business. But we need to find a sustainable way to achieve. Those inputs, because if we're not sustainable with those things, we might get results for a month. We might get results for two months. But what happens month three? Are you going to keep like forcing something that doesn't work? Are you going to keep forcing the round peg through a square hole or whatever the phrase is? Right. No. So, same thing with diet, where it's like, okay, great. Yeah, there's going to be some seasons where we might need to push for a little bit, but we need to have a way to back off of that push as well and make sure that even within that push is realistic. Right. Because I will have clients do maybe a little more cardio or a little bit more of a strict deficit at certain points along their journey to maybe break through a plateau if
1: appropriate. Yeah. I'm going to give you an example of what happened with me, right? And I'm not recommending it to everyone, but I'm curious about your feedback. So way back in the days, I was 24. I was a virgin. I was depressed. I was overweight. Overweight, like my weight is about in, putting a kilogram, 77, 78 kilograms. I weighed 90 kilograms at a certain point, And it was to get a girl. I said, enough of this. I was at a freaking festival. And I was looking at the friends of mine like, dudes, I'm going to lose weight. And I like, dropped right two or three kilograms on that festival. And you know how I did it? I'm not saying this is the best approach, but I started counting my calories and saying like, how much calories am I eating? It gave me a lot of insight. Just know how much calories, like just fries, like, whoa, it's so much calories. I started exercising in the morning on an empty stomach, burning fat, and then doing exercises two times a day. And I lost. I still have the stretch marks for it, so I wouldn't recommend it to doing that fast. I lost 15 kilograms in two months. Way too fast, probably, but but I was motivated. I wanted to see results. And ever since then, I kind of have this basic thing of being between 75 and 80 kilograms. I never again in my life, that was like more than 15 years ago, got to more than 80 kilograms. Yeah, absolutely. I can give you a take on that. But
2: yeah, it's it's funny because you pushed for a little bit, but then you were able to back off of it Yeah. And you gave me feedback
1: about how unhealthy, how much calories, how much is this to know what I'm putting in my body? Because it might sound strange for people who are very fitness and food aware, but a lot of people still don't have an idea what's healthy, what's unhealthy and how much calories are in something. Not saying a calorie approach. I'm interested about your input about it, but it gave me some feedback to work
2: with. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you feedback on both those things for sure. Yeah. Cause you know, you're able to back off of it possibly by accident and maintain the result. And now your set point is between 75 to 80 kilograms. And yeah. hopefully you're sticking to a healthy lifestyle, which is what makes you able to sustain that pretty well. And that's the beautiful thing is when you focus on health, your metabolism and your hormones become optimized in a way that allows you to maintain the results that you got. And the cool thing is if your metabolism is fast and you're in the habit of eating high quality foods that make you feel better and more energy anyways, to where you see a positive impact from that in other areas of your life, it's very easy to maintain the result because you can go eat a healthy pizza. Obviously, don't be eating the pizza that's full of like, pesticides and crap. But if you go get like a nice, healthy, organic pizza that tastes better anyways, because organic always tastes better, then guess what? Your body's going to be able to burn through that because you're lifting properly and your hormones and metabolism are optimized. Obviously, if you're eating pizza every day, maybe not the best ideal scenario, but you can eat it a couple times a week, no problem. Like, You know, I've I've had points in my life where I eat high quality burgers multiple times a week or high quality Mm -hmm. sushi multiple times a week, and I don't gain any weight. So and that's because, but I've also had times where hashtag sodium overdose. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, the funny thing with sodium is actually, you know, sodium, it depends on what source you're getting the sodium from. Like, obviously, if you're getting like cheap quality salt from like either fast food or like, you know, table salt that has like glass in it, like you can actually Google this. There's glass in a lot of different types of table salt. Not going to be ideal. You're going to have a lot of bloating. But if you're doing like Himalayan pink salt, high quality, mm-hmm. that's actually going to be positive for you. And it has a lot of pro-metabolic effects, pro-performance effects, pro-mental effects. So quality is always the the factor there. Like even high quality sugars can be a positive thing, like from organic fruits and stuff like that. And obviously don't blow out beyond how many carbs you're supposed to eat that day. But you know, there's, there's a lot of different parameters. There's so much nuance that goes into this and I could talk about it for hours. So <laughs> I'll let you kind of guide the questions to what people would be interested in.
1: Yeah. Isn't it... To, on a very basic level, you have healthy fats and you have unhealthy fats, you have a protein and you have sugar. And you should try to focus on the healthy fats and then get enough protein and then get a little bit of sugar, you know, to get energy from, but you should try to steer away as much as possible from the unhealthy fats and the sugar. Am I wrong yeah. here or not?
2: So the proportion of fats to carbs is going to differ from person to person. Some people respond better to higher carbs. Some people respond better to higher fats. Some people respond well to the middle. That's something we can experiment. We can also determine based on like your past diet history. Like somebody who comes to me and says, hey, I lost a lot of weight on keto. I had a ton of energy. I feel bloated when I eat carbs. Okay, great. That's probably gonna be somebody who responds well to fats. For somebody who comes and says, hey, man, I felt super tired on keto. I couldn't keep it up. I was having carb cravings all day. I feel good on carbs. That's somebody who I'm more likely to just put them on carbs right off the bat as far as like general guidelines, like, yeah, there's some universal foods that we should not, that we should all avoid. Okay. So there's what I call the inflammatory five. So that's going to be dairy, gluten, soy, pesticides, processed foods. Now, there's some nuance to this too. Like some people digest gluten okay. Like I can actually process gluten better than average, but dairy destroys me, right? Other people, they process dairy all day long and dairy has a lot of good minerals if you can digest it, but gluten wrecks them. Some people get inflammation from almonds. Okay. So it just depends. You got to really be aware when you're eating stuff of how you feel afterwards. Do you get bloated? Do you feel like gravity? Mm. Do you feel good? Do you feel energized? Do you feel brain fog after you eat? Do you feel good? So that's the first thing is avoiding inflammatory foods. That's usually the best place to start. Now, the second thing is, yeah, there's some oils that you should not eat. Okay. Vegetable oil, definitely not. Margarine, definitely not. Anything that's hydrogenated, definitely not. The oils and fats that are usually good are going to be coconut oil, avocado oil, sometimes olive oil. There are some people who get inflammation from olive oil, but usually coconut and olive are sorry, coconut and avocado are very good. Grass-fed butter for people who process it well is very good as well. And then, you know, animal fats from organic, humanely raised, pasture-raised, grass-fed animals is going to be a positive type of fat as well for most people. I mean, again, there's always people who aren't going to respond well to it. Like there will always be somebody who gets inflammation from coconut oil or something. But for most people, those are some guidelines that are going to work well. But again, you got to test it on yourself just to know for sure. So that's that's kind of the guidelines I would say. And as far as like sugars, yeah, just don't do processed foods. But yeah, if you're going to eat like organic fruits, that's usually going to be good, right? Just stuff like that. That would be my general guideline.
1: How come that? The whole stuff about gluten and about dairy, it's only been there like the last five or 10 or 15 years because before it, and probably it's the combined with the pharma lobby, you know, the food lobby has been pushing a certain agenda, but you know, it was always like, eat bread, it's super good for you. Drink milk, it's super good for you. You know, now suddenly there's like a shift about it. How How were they able to push this, what you say is unhealthy for so many decades? Like this is the standard diets to eat.
2: Yeah, that's actually a great question. I've never thought about that, but my theory would be, I mean, look on paper, uh, whole grains do have a lot of good nutrients on paper, dairy and like milk products do have a lot of good minerals and protein and stuff like that. And if you can process them well, then great. Like, I mean, I enjoy eating a little bit of gluten. Now, obviously I'm, I'm, if I have too much I'll notice inflammation, I'll like, you know, get bloating and sneezing and whatnot stuff. He knows, but a little bit of bread here and there doesn't kill me. I think just because my ancestors ate a lot of bread. So my genetics are pretty well equipped for it, but dairy though dude, like it's crazy. Cause when I was younger, I used to process dairy really well. Like Greek yogurt was one of my favorite protein sources. Very convenient, very delicious. But right around the time I was about, I'd say 24, 25, that's when my digestion started to shift and my stomach became more sensitive. And you know, ever since I was 25, if I eat dairy, like I remember one time I was 26, I was in Australia where the food quality is very high. And I ate some Greek yogurt and I felt d- just terrible for 24 to 48 hours, just no energy, tired, bloating, You know, not to be gross, but I was, you know, getting the runs. Yeah. (laughs) um, But so, yeah, I'm I'm generally avoided. And even recently, like a couple of months ago, I think it's September, I had like this Indian curry that had a little bit of like dairy in it and Mm. I was bloated and felt like crap for like 48 hours. So, so, anyways, to answer your question though, I think. Maybe people have just developed a little bit more awareness about like digestion and stuff like that because gut health has become more of a topic of conversation over the last 10, 20 years, as opposed to before it was just about calories in, calories out, macros, which is also very important. But yeah, I think it's interesting because here's the funny thing. If you look at the research, because obviously research is usually pretty objective and pretty good, some studies will say one thing, some studies will say another. And the thing you have to realize is even if you're using the right sample size, Let's say that you have a sample size of 30, which this is statistically significant, but these 30 people all just happen to be like able to tolerate dairy really well. And you feed these people dairy and they get good results. It's like, oh, great. Well, now dairy for all of humanity is good. But what about the guy who has dairy digestion issues? Or maybe there's one person in the study who had digestion issues. So I think it's so individual and you just got to... I mean, it's, it's it's so simple to figure it out. Like You eat something and you feel like crap, you get bloated, you get the runs, you feel brain fog, you feel tired. That's probably something your genetics are not well equipped for versus you eat something, you feel great. You have energy afterwards. Like right now I'm drinking my my bone broth with MCT oil and like turmeric. And I feel like a champ as I'm drinking it. You're not drinking kombucha tea? (laughs) Uh, I probably have a kombucha bottle somewhere around (laughs) my desk, but (laughs) I love kombucha too.
1: (laughs) That's the thing that I find sad about this whole approach during COVID. Like there's also food is thy medicine or exercise is thy medicine. And this whole approach has been ignored. I know people who've been. Able to heal from autoimmune diseases and other diseases purely by food, purely by looking at what has a negative effect on their body. And it still seems this woo-woo thing. While when you look at ancient Indian or even Greek thing, they looked at your shit. (laughs) They looked at how is your digesting looking? What are you eating? And it I don't understand that it's still sometimes so much on the fringes to understand how much, besides mindset, your food affects how you feel and how you function. Totally, absolutely. Yeah, food. I mean. That's the beautiful thing is once you
2: make the connection between eating healthy and feeling good, you'll be intrinsically motivated not to eat crap because when you eat crap or when you drink crap or when you consume something that makes you not feel good, when you're used to feeling good because you eat clean, you no longer want to eat those things. Like it's so easy for me to stick to eating clean. I don't even get cravings if I see like ice cream or whatever. This is
1: the thing that I have a problem with. If people ever are overweight, listen, if you're happy and you want to be like, I'm not going to blame you. But if you're going to say like, oh, it's not my fault, it's in my family, yes. And I think, Some people can easily have a six pack. Other people find difficulty losing weight. There's a spectrum. But if you're morbidly obese, like, come on, drop the excuses. If you do want to change, right? If you want to be that way, that's fine. But once you give yourself two weeks, three weeks, like let's say a month, instead of your sensor, you know, your radar, only looking at the cookies and the chips, your radar is just wired for the healthy stuff. Yes. Yeah. Your gut health shifts, your cravings change. And that's the other thing too, like a lot of people
2: they're happy with where they're at. And I really appreciate mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I think in life though, you really got to give yourself the opportunity to experiment and try new things because especially people who are set in their ways and feel that they're happy. If you're happy, that's great, but you know, you you could be doing better. And I think it's worth testing. And there's going to be a subset of people who's, who are 300 pounds and they try eating healthy and they lose 30 pounds and they're like, for, in a month. And they're like, you know what? It's not worth it. I'm actually happier being 300 pounds. And for those people, that's great. But the only way you'll know if that's you is by trying it And there's a 95% chance that if you try, you're gonna be like, wait, I feel way better at 270. Let's keep this going. You get down to 200, you feel amazing, right? And you you live longer too. I mean, that's objective, right? The heavier you are, the harder your heart has to work, and the more triglycerides are in your bloodstream, which are gonna clog your blood vessels. So I think it's always worth just trying. Like, you know, I always tell people, like, people are always skeptical about organic. When I tell people to switch to organic food, I say, great, try it for a week. Worst case scenario, you spend 20% more money and the food tastes better, but you don't notice a difference, you go back. Best case scenario, 80 to 90% chance you're going to feel better, have more energy, drop bloat, your skin gets clearer, you just feel happier and your food tastes better. Sure, you're paying more, but you're either going to pay the farmer today or pay the pharmacist tomorrow. So, you know, it's always worth giving it a try. And that's what I'd say to anybody who's in apathy about their fitness just give it a try. Just try for a couple of weeks. If you don't like it, that's fine, nothing lost. But, you know, the potential you have to gain more energy, more clarity, more happiness, 10 more years on your life, so worth it. You got to try.
1: Well, when you look at poor people in the past, they were skinny. And now when you look at poor people, they're super fat. So it's it's kind of still an irony that if you want to eat unhealthy food, it's super cheap and there's yeah. no prevention in terms of building up your immune system. And, you know, but if you want to eat healthy, shit, like you see 20%, I don't know, Los Angeles, it's probably even more when you want to eat yeah. like healthy food. I mean, what the hell, man? What is going on with this cor- corn syrup yeah. stuff? In shit. Yeah, it's, it's insane. And the regulation in terms of hormones and stuff. I mean, you have a lot of high quality stuff. I've been to Los Angeles, but you also have so much crap that is allowed there, man. Yeah. And that's the interesting thing with Europe is the food quality is much better in Europe. Like Europe is the only place
2: where I can eat chicken and not get any inflammation from it. Like if I eat chicken, well, actually Australia too, like organic chicken, Australia but like all the chicken in France, I process it really well. But in America, even the organic chicken, I, I can process it decently, but I, sometimes I get like a stuffy nose and I get inflammation effects. So yeah, it's, 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 it's quite sad. And I'm not sure why they do this probably because it's cheaper or whatever. Cause you know, you feed the cow hormones and antibiotics, I guess you make more because like less cows die and they're bigger and fatter or whatever, but yeah, it kind of sucks. So it's kind of like, you know, if, if you're watching this and you've got money, definitely spend organic. But if, if you're in a tough spot financially right now, I'll say this. So I've been through some tough spots financially as a business owner too. I've leveraged debt. I've been like 10K in debt, which I was always the guy who never even wanted to go into debt until a sales guy convinced me to go into debt to do his program. And then the program Mm -hmm. kind of sucked and I was in debt for a while.
0: But that's it, man. I'm sorry
1: that happened because some of my clients also have this story. I, I, I don't work with people who are broke because often it's difficult to have that financial stress beating down your net. Plus sometimes, not in America because you have this enchaining study system, you know? Like if you want to lend 10 million to study, it's fine. If you want to lend 10 million to build a business, go screw yourself. Like that, that's (laughs) kind of the priorities, right? Yeah. But sometimes people have like a broke mindset or it's like difficult to do it. But I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm sad it happened to you, man. Because I I sometimes hear these stories, but you probably learned from it, but. Oh, for sure. Like, like
2: I regretted the decision for a while, but now I look back and I'm like, no, it's fine. Like I learned a lot and it forced me to grow and level up. And that's the greatest thing you can have in life is growth and learning. So, yeah. But I mean. Even when I was broke and I was in debt, when I discovered that organic made me feel better it made me more productive it made me more creative because my thoughts were clear and overall I just felt better and knew I was going to live longer, that actually helped me to make more money. So if you're stuck in a nine to five and you're making X amount of money and you can't really scale that, sure, you can build a side hustle and this will give you the extra energy and creativity to do so. Maybe you got to kind of initiate that first before you can then afford organic. But I'd say like try to stretch yourself and, uh, and buy that organic because you're going to feel better.
1: But you know and what the, the problem you can- is? we live in a culture of instant gratification. And partly what you're describing is between thinking fast, thinking slow, thinking long-term, thinking short-term. And people rather want the short-term pleasure, the instant gratification, than sacrificing something which is just based on like comfort food or convenience to know that, no, I'm not going to do this because in the long-term, it will be an investment to become better. And most people, they short attention span, big craving and they just give into it. So partly you also thought long-term like, no, this is the future I want to create. When I do this consistently, this will make me this person that I want to be. But most people don't have that willpower or awareness to make that choice in a moment. 100%. And I think the best thing you can do is find a good middle
2: ground where you're achieving the short-term result you need to motivate yourself today while still being aware and setting yourself up for the future about the long term. So like for instance, an example of this would be like with clients, for instance. In the past, I've had clients who are like, hey, I want to lose a lot of weight by this specific date. Can you put me on something strict? And I do, but then they rebound after the date and then I feel mm-hmm. like crap because even though they yeah. were in shape for the date that they needed to be in shape, they get fat afterwards. And so I feel like they wasted their money and I'm not the type of person who wants to hold on to your money if I feel like it's wasted, mm-hmm. but at the same time I gave you the service. So it's kind of like a weird place. Versus now I'm very firm where I'm like, okay, no, the first four weeks, Unless your metabolism is already super fast and you're already like eating a lot and maintaining weight, which is how I know their metabolism is fast, we're going to spend the first four to six weeks fixing your metabolism because even if the results are slower the first few weeks, you're going to get way better results in the long-term and keep them. Now, the difference though is when I started being too strict with that, then people started getting unmotivated the first week because some people like they won't lose weight the first week from that. Most people will just from dropping inflammation, but some people don't. So what I focus on is creating a quick win in that first week where your energy is going to feel better right away can drop some interest from the waist right away. So we're not focused on the weight. We're focused on the waist size because you're going to drop the bloat. So your waist is going to get smaller, even if your weight stays the same. And by focusing on that and creating that short-term win while setting up for the long-term, our clients have gotten better results across the board. So that's just an example. And I guess the same would apply to business where it's like, okay, how do we get you a quick win where you make money now to recoup the investment? And then you make more money in the long-term too. So there's always a way to find... It. That's why it's just good to have the right like coach or consultant to help you to find that best way to achieve both the short-term and long-term so you don't end up running yourself in circles and being in the same place a year from now
1: right yeah and also like you know i was a high performance mentor for like four years and i believe goals only work for certain kind of people Mm. because it keeps them from the present moment and going through the journey and just enjoying the wins it keeps them like completely focused on that end result and i interviewed people i interviewed also cypress hill as a music band and i asked like hey guys what did you enjoy the most getting to the top or staying on top guess what they said Getting to the top. Getting to the top. Everybody says getting to the top. And every time that you think this is going to bring me happiness, this final end point, it almost never brings you what you want. So just enjoy the journey, those small wins, the process, the person you become, the lifestyle changes. This is why I don't like this victim culture. I'm not fat shaming. I'm body empowering people. Because when I see people who are morbidly obese and they're just stepping on the step or whatever, or, or the band like five kilometers an hour and the, the upper chest is like sweaty and I see them, I see it mostly in the face first and I see them making steps. I'm the first one like, hey, good on you, man. You're already moving ahead. I'm ha- I'm happy for it. They don't have to look perfect. They started their journey. I'm super happy for them. And that first weight, especially if you're very uh, obese, that flies off so easily, man. That flies 100%. off so easily. 100%. Yeah, like that's the biggest thing. Like if you
2: can validate yourself for those initial wins as opposed to only validating yourself when you achieve the big result, that's so key. And I think as business owners, especially, sometimes it's hard to remember that, right? Because let's say you have like this huge goal for the empire you want to build and you're like, I'm not there yet, I'm not there yet, I'm not there yet. And you're constantly beating yourself up. Guess what? That's gonna put you in a negative state, which makes you take less action, which makes it take longer to get there if you can get there. Versus if you're getting excited about every little action you're taking, even if it doesn't produce a result, like obviously if you're not getting results, change the strategy. But the fact that you showed up and took action is enough to celebrate. Now, in the context of working out, maybe you don't celebrate with cake if you just took one action, but celebrate mentally and just be like, hey, you know what? I'm so proud of myself for showing my body love and taking action. And I'm not even worried about the result. I'm just happy I'm taking action that I feel better that I'm healthy. And if you can focus on that lead measure as opposed to the lag measure, the lag measure comes. So that's a beautiful thing. You don't don't even focus on the result for a while before you know it, you look up and the result is there
1: one thing that maybe will i mean this will not resonate with people who just want to lose weight and start their journey but i'm telling you like i was a food nazi and an exercise nazi i treated my body like a freaking slave (laughs) when i was exercising i wanted to eat unhealthy when i eat unhealthy even it was a freaking exception i felt guilty so i never was pleased i was, was with my girlfriend on a vacation i had to run every freaking day because i thought i would lose weight and you know what it even was counterproductive it didn't bring me in the best shape because if you want to eat unhealthy as an exception, enjoy it. I couldn't enjoy it. I was so structured, Nazi, and I don't know if this resonates with you. It's for people who are already deep down their fitness journey. When you're so rigid, when your so structured, forceful towards yourself and you never can have enjoyment and relaxation, that is also not the best way to stay in shape. Definitely. And
2: I think the same applies to business too. Like If you're constantly pushing yourself to the point of burnout and you're constantly in like on the verge of burnout, you're not going to be as productive as you could be. So I think it's important to know how hard you can push before you need a break and how to take a break that doesn't turn into like three months. But rather, like for me, for instance, in business, the rhythm that I have is I work from Sunday midday till Friday midday. And then I take a full 48 hours off from Friday midday, all day yeah. Saturday and Sunday morning. But this is the, the
1: crazy thing. You're often more productive. I look better in shape now than when I was spending twice as much time in the gym. Yeah, This is crazy. It's both mindset or my body rest, et cetera. I'm telling you, I look at like, Jesus, I'm putting half of the effort or less than before, and I'm looking better back then when I was constantly forcing myself in the gym and dragging myself through the exercises. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like if you're happy and enjoying the process and not burning out, it's
2: always going to be better. Even if you get there slower, you'll stay there and you'll keep seeing progress as opposed to burning yourself out and then not seeing progress, right?
1: And it's also seeing the fun in what you do because I was, uh, I did a lot of sports, I did like boxing, but I was. I mean, I'm a structure freak back then, now less. And I have to, I have to go there. And I was just going through the motions and I was just not enjoying it. And then sometimes you want to ask yourself, what am I doing it for? Is it not better that I go to the gym? I mean, it's good to be motivated and disciplined, but is it not better that I'm in the gym, fully committed, fully focused, going for it, sweating and feeling good, than half-assing stuff, dragging myself to the gym and just doing things because I tell myself I have to. I don't know if you've been there. I don't know if some clients have been there, but that's definitely a stage that I and that definitely was not in the beginning that I felt like drained because I was forcing myself and I lost all the joy for it. Yes. Yeah. I think it's an interesting balance. Cause, cause right. Like
2: there's kind of two extremes, right? There's an the extreme where it's like, I'll only do something if I feel like it. Yeah. And there's an the extreme of no matter how crappy I feel, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And while the second sounds very honorable, it's going to burn you out. And while the first sounds very fun, it's not going to produce results. So you have to have the mm. middle ground. you have Bumper bars and principles that stop you from just totally going off the rails. But at the same time, you have uh systems in place to make sure that you don't burn out. And I think the calibration to find the balance between those two things does require some experimentation. It requires you to make mistakes and burn out, it requires you to make mistakes and like go too unstructured. But from those mistakes, as long as you're committed to learning and growth and you have the right support system around you to you know, highlight your blind spots, that's where you'll be able to find that balance. And I think that's a balance that we're constantly evolving and finding. But once you learn how to find that balance, you can then apply it to every area of your life. And even if things change in your life, you'll be able to refine that balance for your new life. Like, let's say you have a kid, you have to find a new balance with your work life balance and with your fitness balance, right? Let's say that you start a new business, same thing. You got to recalibrate. Let's say that you're not working out right now and you decide to add working out in, you got to recalibrate and find out how to balance it with your whole life. And I think. Here's the golden rule, right? The feedback is if you start feeling burnt out, scale back and figure out how to systemize recovery before you completely burn out and then stop, right? And if you're not seeing results, figure out where can I be more disciplined and push Mm -hmm. myself a bit, but without burning out. And if you have those bumper bars as feedback, and you can constantly be committed to finding that middle ground, and you're truly bought into the results you want to produce, the person you want to become, and the way you want to feel, then you will find it and you'll find it quicker than you think.
1: Let me know what you think about this. I think it's also in our language. We tell ourselves we fall ill. I think partly our body also has innate wisdom and we make ourselves ill. We make ourselves overstressed. We make ourselves more prone to, I'm not denying everything, right? But just in general, anytime I become sick, anytime I become burned out, I'm asking myself not why did the the disease make me ill? I'm asking myself, how did I become prone to not become strong enough to fight this off? And then I'll look at how I've been rushing, burned out, and I also take some ownership like, yes actually felt it in my body i was pushing myself too hard and i tried to learn from it and notice the body signals when i'm pushing it too far definitely i agree with that 100% and i could actually share a
2: personal story from you know the last 2 weeks 2 weeks ago i had like three staff members on the monday after halloween who like didn't show up the way they needed mm-hmm. to because they're probably like hungover from halloween or something and i was really pissed and mm-hmm. i used that anger to have a very productive week and you know i didn't burn out that week But then I continued that momentum of using anger for energy the second week. And I also had to fire a guy last week and replace him. And, you know, unfortunately, that anger energy, while it made me very productive and take a lot of action, burnt me out massively because by Thursday night last week, Mm -hmm. I was all of a sudden just feeling like crap. Friday, I felt so burnt out, depressed. Like, I didn't want to do anything. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh man, like I, I was like, dude, I haven't felt this way in, in almost years, man. I feel like I'm like an angsty teenager again, man. I'm all depressed. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? So I still pushed myself through Friday, but then I was like, all right, I need to take like a full rest day Saturday, just sleep. And so I slept like, I think 14 hours and I felt way better, but it taught me a lesson, which is when I see myself using anger as motivation, I got to scale back because I know what that does. It makes me productive, but it also leads to burnout. It consumes you, right? It consumes you, and it just like I think it just burns out your adrenal glands, honestly, because you get this adrenaline rush, and you're like, action, 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 right? But then, you know, your adrenal's kind of burn out, and then by the end of the week, you're like, man, I haven't even had that much caffeine this week yet. I just feel like I've been addicted to caffeine all week, and like I just came off. Like that's how I felt on Friday. So, so that's an example of kind of like, you know, I made myself ill, and then I even felt sick on Saturday. I think I was able to kick it pretty quick with my immunity stack which I could talk about too, if you want to talk a little about immunity. but Yeah.
1: And also a bit about, I mean, I believe in it and I had it myself and I was burned out. And you notice it a lot when you wake up between two and five, you might have adrenal fatigue and your cortisol yeah. levels are too high. And it's yeah. again like, woo-woo, no, it doesn't exist. Like, yeah, it does exist. And you ah. feel it in your body. You feel it at your adrenals in your lower back and it drains you. But again, a lot of doctors will just ignore it. And I just needed to rest because if you suddenly are awake between two and five, you know, that there's that probably is like adrenal fatigue and you need to, replenish your adrenals. I mean, that's my perspective. I don't know what you feel about it. Yeah, definitely. Well, there are some
2: strategies you can apply pretty quickly to reduce cortisol and help you sleep better if that's a specific case. What I find a lot of women do this, especially because women are very harsh on themselves with their bodies, especially like you know stressed out women who have professional careers or businesses, and maybe they're a mother on top of that, mm. right? Right they have a lot of stress and a lot of these women under eat. And because you're undereating, your cortisol goes up. And then because you're stressed from work and kids, and whatever else you got going on, your stress goes up even more. So women become very prone to getting this cortisol syndrome. And then women get, I mean, both men and women get this terrible downward spiral of negative hormonal effects from having high cortisol. But yeah, a lot of women and men, but you know, I usually hear this from women get that insomnia where they wake up in the middle of the night. And one thing that helps is something called carb backloading. Okay. So obviously mm. if you're sensitive to carbs and get bloating from carbs, maybe not for you, but What I like to do personally is I usually won't eat a whole lot of carbs throughout the day, but I will eat a lot of carbs at night. And that might sound counterintuitive because a lot of people say if you eat carbs at night, it makes you fat, but that's only if you've been carb loading all day and then you eat carbs at night, those carbs will usually be stored as fat. But if you haven't eaten carbs all day and you eat carbs at night, your body's very sensitive to using those carbs for muscle as opposed to fat because your muscles have been deprived of carbs all day. And then those carbs will lower your cortisol and help you sleep like a champion and feel amazing. So that's one thing that can help. But yeah, certainly... uh, with, with the adrenal fatigue. Like, you know, if you're getting insomnia, if you're waking up feeling like crap, if you're just feeling stressed, burnt out in general, if you're drinking a lot of coffee to give yourself energy, but it just makes you feel worse. Those are some pretty strong... Well, symptoms. this is
1: the thing. My relationship with coffee is when I follow my intuition, it's more a backup emergency strategy, but people use it to cover their exhaustion during the day. They say like alcohol takes away energy of the next day. Coffee takes away energy from the day itself. So yeah, it's 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 fine to drink it once in a while. But I mean... I had the conversation with Simulant and other people who are like, Yeah, no, it's actually good. But I think, in general, of the energy, you have this high energy and then you have this low afterwards. And just as a way, I like just a saying, I need my coffee to start today, which means I'm depleted, I'm tired, I need something to give me energy because else I can't start today. It, it kind of says yeah. something about the lifestyle we live. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Like I saw this one Alex Becker video, if you know who that is,
2: where he yeah. talks about. Yeah, like how, you know, coffee increases your cortisol, decreases your digestion and causes this feedback loop where your body can't utilize its own tiredness hormones. And so it throws off your rhythm. So, yeah, that was one thing that motivated me to cut down significantly on caffeine. I still use caffeine, but I found mm-hmm. a good balance with it because, again, I have to use the same rule. If I'm doing this much coffee, I feel burnt out. If I do this little coffee, I'm not really leveraging the benefits I could get from coffee. So, and I don't usually use coffee because it makes my teeth yellow, but I use other sources of caffeine, and so I found a good balance with caffeine. But it took some calibration. You know, I went from zero caffeine to too much caffeine, and then kind of fluctuated before I found a good balance. And I know what to do if I feel myself having too much. So I think that's that's the thing to be aware of. But but yeah, taking it back to you know the adrenal fatigue though, I mean. Those are some big things like, you know, if you know yourself being less productive, you're exhausted all the time, you feel like you need your coffee and you're drinking like three, four cups of coffee a day, then we definitely got to address the biology and psychology behind that to figure out how to get you less stressed, more productive and more energetic naturally so that you're not relying
1: on a substance to have the energy to just function throughout your day. And one thing that everybody, including me, has to do more and that we don't do enough is uh, we don't drink enough water. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, I got to be careful, though, because if I, if I drink this whole thing
2: right now like I want to, I'm going to have to go pee in the middle of this podcast. So,
1: you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Because in general, also, I think coffee drains uh, stuff and other stuff. Like when we see, like, we're, 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 come from, uh, we're made of so many water. And when you look at, I don't know, you have to, on average, drink like two or three liters of water per day. And then when you take a look at how much you drink, like, you will have, like, probably like way less than that norm. Yeah, yeah, and it's so important to be hydrated because if you're dehydrated that will also
2: negatively affect your energy levels so you're like, "Oh, I need more coffee, I'm tired." But in reality, you just need to drink some water, which will be healthier for you and solve the real problem. Like like there's some people they will be dehydrated and they'll drink coffee and they'll just feel worse because it just dehydrates them more. And, you know, so if you're watching this right now and you have drank coffee and felt worse and you know you're not drinking that much water, let's start drinking more water because that's going to flush out your system, get you more energetic, healthier, metabolism better, everything. But yeah, you know, biggest thing is don't be reliant on a substance if you're addicted to coffee. We got to find a way to wean you off of it and improve your natural energy so you don't feel the need to be on
1: coffee so much. And just sleep. Sleep enough. I mean, for me, it's always bizarre. Like, how much sleep do you need? They give the lowest answer that they need. Like, I'm asking how much sleep you need. I'm not saying what's the minimum amount. It's not a competition. I'm asking what kind of sleep makes you feel nourished. And it's so weird that it's almost like, oh, I only need six. I asked you how much sleep you need. Yeah, it's weird I, that answer, right? That's like almost like oh, only need six hours. Yeah, to survive. But how would you function with seven and a half hours? Like, it, it. I think it's strange that relation we have with like not valuing sleep, like how important it is. Yeah, you know, there's definitely
2: a hustle culture where it's like, oh yeah, if you want to be successful, you need early mornings, late nights, and I appreciate mm-hmm. the commitment and discipline there. But let's account for how sharp you are mentally and how healthy you are and how much longevity you have. And what I found, because I used to be that guy, like. From age 22 to like 24, 25, I was like sleeping maybe four to six hours a night. I was like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm driven. I'm a champion. I'm the man. And I was like super stoked and like proud of myself for not sleeping enough, even though every Sunday I'd have to crash and sleep till like 3 p.m. for like 14 hours. So now I'm very, very proactive about my sleep. Like I said, extremely strong boundaries. Like people get pissed off at me because I'm like, Hey, I can't hang out after this time, or I can't have a meeting at this time because I need to get my sleep. And they're like, Oh, Mm -hmm. well, you only need six hours. Like no motherfucker. I need like eight hours, bro. (laughs) So for me, it's seven to eight hours is my ideal sweet spot. Sometimes more, sometimes less, but I always really make sure that I'm good with my time management and disciplined with my boundaries to make sure I can get at least seven. Cause if I get less than seven, I'm going to have a shitty day the next day. Can I still discipline myself into being functional if I happen to get less sleep? Yes, but I'm always proactive to make sure I get enough sleep so I don't need to expend excess willpower and be less
1: healthy because I didn't sleep enough. You said that most fitness coaches talk about eating less, working out more, and getting into a calorie deficit, but you say eat more, work out less, and fix your metabolism. To produce that calorie deficit. Could you explain a bit more about that? Yes,
2: definitely. Now, obviously eat more, workout less doesn't apply to somebody who's overeating and not working out. But for a lot of people who are, you know, they've, they've tried multiple times to lose weight, which is, you know, a lot of people who I work with, obviously I work with some people who aren't doing anything at all, who need more motivation, but there's also a lot of people who are highly motivated, taking a lot of action, but their strategy is effed up because they're working out too much where they're overtraining, jacking up their cortisol, and they're eating too little to where they're under recovering and feeling like crap and eventually they can't sustain it. So Here's the deal. In order to have a healthy metabolism, and this is kind of a you know more generalized roll up. So if you need specific help on this, send me a message. But you want to be able to consume between 12 to 15 times your body weight in calories per day. Again, there are nuances to this. If you're 400 pounds, it's probably not going to be that much. But for most people, <laughs> yeah. right, 80, 90% of people, 12 to 15 times body weight is a healthy metabolism. Now, if you're eating less than that, yeah, you might have to eat like 10 to 11 times your body weight in calories per day when you're in a deficit for a short period of time. But if you've been chronically eating 10 times or less your body weight in calories per day, like I had a guy who weighed 170 and he was short. So he, at 170, he had a belly, right? Pounds, was, right? Pounds, yes. Not <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I specify, yes. It's 170 pounds. And um, yeah, and, and with the 12 to 15 times, that's that's pounds, by the way, not kilo. Yeah, yeah.
1: I was like, I trained Jabba the Hutt from Star Wars. <laughs>
2: Yes, exactly. So, so that's the point. So he was eating 1500 calories per day, which is less than 10 times his body weight in pounds of calories per day. So, and and he was working out twice a day, six days a week, CEO of a company with 200 people, employees, and, you know, he's got high stress from his career. He's busy, but he's such a massive action taker. He's like, no, I'm going to go super hard with my fitness. Still had a belly. What we did was we reverse dieted him from 1500 to 2200. And I can explain what that is in a sec while dropping his training frequency down to four days a week. And what we found was over the course of 90 days, he lost over 20 pounds of fat while gaining muscle because he was no longer overtraining. We're able to bring his cortisol down. We did some nutrition strategies as well, like cutting out inflammation to help with that too. And he now has a six pack and you can see his transformation on my page. So it's like this guy absolutely crushed it by eating more and training less. Now, obviously if you're eating Three thousand calories a day right now, and you haven't touched a weight or worked out or gone even for a walk in like six months. Yeah, you got to eat less and work out more. But for most people, that's not the case. In fact, I find a lot of busy professionals who aren't working out are actually under eating. You know, I had this guy. I'm not going to be too detailed with his identity per se, but you know, he works in the real estate industry and he's uh, getting a little up there in age. And he's noticed that since his 20s, you know, because it's been over decades since his 20s, he's gained some weight, even though he was in good shape in his. twenties. It was Grand Cordon. <laughs>
0: yeah, <wait.
2: laughs> although he got in shape too, though, which is awesome. He's yeah, inspiration for everybody. No excuse. Uh, I love Grant Cardone, by the way. But yeah, so this guy, you know, real estate guy, he 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 wasn't working out and he had a, a significant belly. But when we actually audited what he was eating, he was only eating 1,200 calories a day. His metabolism had mm-hmm. slowed so much and his cortisol was so high that his body was in homeostasis of 1,200 calories a day. So what we did was we got him lifting three days a week, so it fit into his schedule. I got him going for walks in the morning just for his mental health, for his stress, and to help plan his business, so he's more systemized. And we actually upped his calories first to about 1,600, then to 1,800, then as high as 1,900. He dropped 10 pounds in the first four weeks. And then right now we're in the process of transitioning him back into a deficit so he can re- lose those remaining 10 pounds now that his metabolism is fixed. So what it took to get him results was eating more, working out more in his case, because he wasn't working out. And then now we're eating a little bit less for a short period of time to lose the remaining weight. Then we're going to reverse diet him back up. So his metabolism is fast. So he maintains his results for life. That's, That's your reverse diet. Reverse diet. So, reverse diet is if you're eating less than 12 to 15 times your body weight in calories per day and not losing mm-hmm. weight, which is most people who have had multiple failed attempts at weight loss. Because when you under eat and over train and you've done this multiple times and you've rebounded multiple times and you're high stress, this all damages your metabolism. So, the reverse diet is a way of speeding up your metabolism just through calories. But when we combine this with low inflammation foods and a couple little biohacks, which we'll talk about in a second as well, then it will greatly increase your metabolism, your energy, and your ability to lose weight. So, Reverse dieting first, I'll I'll talk about general reverse dieting. I'll talk about my specific strategy and why it's a little bit better than the typical reverse diet. So reverse diet, you know, you typically want to drop down on all cardio because cardio is going to increase your cortisol. You want to keep your training frequency around three to four days a week and have productive workouts.
1: And oh, cardio, course. this is interesting because I don't want to stop your train of thought, but I thought yeah. cardio relieved cortisol. It was a stress reliever. I thought it dropped cortisol. I'm wrong here. or It depends. There, there's definitely some nuance to this too. And it depends on the type
2: of cardio. It depends on your capacity. Like I had a dude in his fifties who was a runner his whole life. So for him, you could do 45 minutes of cardio a day, no problem. But yeah, somebody who's like, you know, they've been in an office working for the last 20 years and they just started doing cardio like two months ago. They lost some weight, but now they're plateaued there's a high chance this person might be overtraining, especially if they're feeling burnt out and they're eating too little. So reducing cardio a bit. And usually for my clients, I either just have them do walking or for somebody who's got good conditioning. Like I have a guy who used to be very athletic. He's gotten great results his first six weeks. So now he's hit a plateau just from fixing the tables over six weeks, but he's already lost like 12 pounds. Now what we're doing is we're adding in swimming because it's appropriate for him, given his past athleticism versus my real estate guy, we're just having him go for walks. If I have him run, he's going to overtrain. And now his condition is a little better. So I, I probably will add a little more conditioning now that he's more conditioned. But again, it depends on the person, the schedule, the past experience. But yeah, so for reverse dieting, the general rule of thumb is let's cut down on cardio, right? So the client I, was, I mentioned before who we reverse dieted from 1500 to 2200, I still let him do his cardio. He, he likes doing boxing and he's very well conditioned to it, but we still reduce his frequency. So he would stop overtraining and we became more proactive with recovery. But yeah, for most people, if you're excessively doing cardio, you're feeling burnt out, we're going to cut down on that as part of the reverse diet and just replace it with walking so you're at least staying active. And How do you notice that
1: someone is overtraining? How do you see
2: the effect? The, the Usually, so they're taking a lot of action, not getting results. They're feeling burnt out and tired. They're no longer excited about working out. It's hard to sustain. These are generally some symptoms of overtraining, mostly just the stress, burnout, and lack of results is the biggest telltale symptom of overtraining despite taking a lot of action. Because if you're taking a lot of action, you should be getting a lot of results, right? Well, not if you're overtraining. So that's kind of the logic behind that.
1: So basically, when you have people, I don't want to give away too much of your magic, how you work, like you basically look at if they're, their body type, their lifestyle, their hormones, they maybe have a food journal to write about their experiences. And then based on that, I probably am missing certain things or... That's, that's most of it. So, so what I do with each client is on the initial
2: consultation, I talk to what they've done in the past. So I have an idea of what we need to do for the solution. So I can educate them within that consultation on what the solution is. That way, even if they don't sign up, they at least get some value from the call, but also so that if they do sign up, that obviously we have the right direction to go. Now within usually 48 hours or definitely within like a week of them signing up, we have our first one-to-one and you know, most clients don't need a whole lot of one-to-ones, but that first one-to-one is very crucial because we literally audit your whole schedule. So like, what time do you currently wake up? Is that optimal? If it's optimal, we keep it. Like some people, maybe they wake up at 10 AM and that works well for them. That's fine. Or some people, maybe they wake up at 10 AM and they're like, no, I want to wake up at six because I was not as productive. Okay, great. Well, since you just signed up for this, let's leverage that. Get you waking up at six. I'm going to hold you accountable. So we literally audit their whole lifestyle, their entire work schedule, their entire family schedule, every possible variable, anything that could possibly screw up, we audit it to make sure that we create a plan that is perfect for not screwing up. And then we get feedback, especially those first few weeks, like daily feedback on how's the plan going, what's working, what isn't working, what can you sustain, what
1: can't you sustain so we can refine it and make How it How long should people keep this up or try this at least? Two weeks, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks? What usually, is the
2: usually it takes me two to four weeks to lock in the perfect schedule for somebody. Although obviously if the seasons of their life change or maybe they go on travel and their rhythm gets thrown off we might have to redo it, right? Like I have a client for instance, and she's been a little bit off lately. So I have to reach out to her today and schedule a one-to-one to realign her to her goals. But it, it just depends on the person. But yeah, usually two to four weeks. If you're doing this on your own, it might take you a little bit longer to like figure this out, obviously. But you know, give yourself like a solid four weeks of experimentation, audit your whole life, do all that stuff, right? But yeah. So on that first one-to-one, we, we pretty much go through everything and we schedule and structure everything to make sure everything's good. But like you said, we also don't want to stifle their flow if they're more of a flow person. So if that's the case, you know, we give them more of like a range, but we're still specific with what foods to eat. And obviously we introduce more structure if needed, if they're not able to sustain it. But usually the first few weeks we try to push to really just lock in the right variables and have a more structured schedule with food and training, because that's, what's going to guarantee results. And we do guarantee results. So it's really important.
1: How important is even for strength, power, and conditioning, because that's the thing often men like love to do. But how important is actually because it's still like a challenge, maybe for me, but a lot of men, it still is difficult to have men work on their range of motion, joint (laughs) (laughs) flexibility. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, you know,
2: the funny thing is that's probably the one thing that my clients stick to the least. Now, obviously, (laughs) yeah, yeah, so yeah, but a lot of people get frustrated with how much mobility stuff I have them do. But at the same time, I'm like, great. So I put it in the contract today. You better do your mobility stuff because that's how we guarantee you don't get injured, right? Because if you're not going to do the mobility stuff, you're risking injury, which is going to be a setback to you. It's going to suck but we put it on the contract so you can't hold us liable because that was your fault for not doing what we told you to do. But
0: it's kind of yeah, funny I mean,
1: because if you, in the end of life, if you're 40 or 50 and you would have to choose being good at something and still be able to keep up strength, conditioning, power, or mobility, the mobility and flexibility is often the most important thing to feel rejuvenated and still feel able to do a lot of things. But as men, especially, I think we don't assign it to put it. It should have, you know. Oh, sure. Well, I, the way the way
2: I get people more bought into this is obviously I talk through, do you have any past injuries? And a lot of people don't. I say, great, let's keep it that way. Do you have any back pain, neck pain, shoulder pain, knee pain, anything right now from sitting in front of a desk? Most people do. Like just in America, I believe the statistic is either 60% or 80% or something in that range. Of Americans have experienced back pain at some point in their life. So that's a great entry point where it's like, great, let's babysit you into this little routine that's going to fix your back pain. Okay, great. Let's add a little more on top of that. Oh, you notice you've been sore. Okay, let's add this recovery stuff. Okay, great. This is how we're going to prevent shoulder injuries. Oh, you've had a shoulder injury in the past. Great. We'll add in this protocol to fix it. So little things like that get people rolling with the mobility stuff. The problem is that a lot of people end up skipping it later down the road and then they get re injured. And then it's like, okay, great. Now I need to be. And I was the same way, man. I didn't like my first seven years working out, I did not do mobility stuff until I got injured right? And that took me out of competition when I was competing in powerlifting. So mm-hmm. that is what has held me accountable to really prioritize mobility, no matter how short I am on time. But some people, they just have to make the mistake before they become committed to not making the mistake. However, I try my very best to front load that buy-in, but you know, there's always going to be people who they're going to skip out of the mobility stuff. They just want the result. But yeah, I'd say like, if you're a man watching this right now, let me ask you this. Do you want to get injured? No. Okay. Do your mobility. How bad would it suck to get injured? Like, you know, you're going to have a setback. It's going to cost you even more time and energy because the biggest objection people have to mobility yeah. is, oh, it's time, energy. I don't need it. Okay. Great. It's boring. It's boring, whatever. Right. So here are some advantages to mobility work. Number one, if you're not feeling like working out, it helps get you in the mood for working out because that's a big sticking point a lot of people have. Number two, it's going to prevent injuries. It's actually going to save you time and energy because you're front loading the effort as opposed to back loading the effort and having to rehab and being permanently damaged for life. I think that's a huge fear for a lot of people is being permanently damaged for life. Imagine being permanently damaged for life. Okay. Now let me give you this 10 minute mobility routine that you can do every other day that will prevent you from being permanently damaged for
1: life. Okay. That's the best I could do right now. on this podcast and getting people's buy-in. And stretching, is that important before the exercise, not after the exercise, or you just do this separate mobility routine and that's enough? Mostly before, because that's the time when it's most urgent to make sure you're fully mobilized. Because
2: mm. I mean, obviously if you stretch after, that's great. Personally, I don't really do a whole lot of stretching after I'll, I'll do like some foam rolling on my recovery days, but I usually stretch before the workout. And that's what I found is sustainable and prevents injuries for me and for my clients. Because like, let's say that you've been sitting in a, in a chair all day, right? You're on a desk or maybe you did all day the day before, and now you slept all night in a bed and now you're going to go work out. You know, you're going to be tight. Your shoulders are going to be tight. Your traps are going to be tight. Your hips are going to be tight. So if you're going to go try to squat heavy weights or deadlift or even do bench press or some shoulders or even some arms, you know, if your shoulders
0: off. Yeah, and arm,
1: also, I don't know, how do you call this? All the exercises are almost like this. That's also why pressing, swimming is so good because it opens yeah. up the shoulders. It's like this motion. And there's not a lot of fitness mo- movements that are this way, right? That opens your Actually, body up. Actually there are. So,
2: so I have a lot of people, like I, I have people emphasize mm. a lot of back training and rows. So even on like chest day, I have people doing rear delts, which is this muscle back here. It's mm. a lot of rows to balance out the pressing, because that's a biggest issue a lot of people have is they're way too tight in the front, which makes them prone to injury here. So, but, but yeah, I mean, like that's, that's why it's so important to do all that mobility stuff beforehand. So you can fix yourself before you lift so that you're not going to injure yourself. And then obviously emphasizing posture work. Like if you look at my transformations, I usually show like the back or the, or sorry, the front or the side, just because that's where people are like, Oh, I want to lose the belly. But I'll, if you look at the backs of my clients, that's where really the most of the muscle growth is because we're really focusing on back to make sure that we're not overpowering the front and causing this kind of posture.
1: Really important. One of the last things to talk about, what are one of the toxic mindset beliefs, attitudes people have that mess up their progress in the context of fitness or just in general, you can choose
2: both. Okay. Yeah. I guess there's a lot of carryover. I mean, First toxic mindset thing, I wouldn't call this super toxic, but it's common, is feeling like you need motivation to take action. You should definitely optimize your state so that you usually feel like taking action, but you also need discipline for the days that you don't feel like taking action to at least initiate the action until you feel like it. The reason being that dopamine, the chemical in the brain responsible for motivate for motivation, usually increases after taking that initial action as opposed to before it. It's kind of like, you know, if you have kids or if you have nephews or whatever, or if you remember being a kid, kids never want to get in the shower. Kids never want to get in the shower. But once a kid is in the shower or the bathtub, they don't want to get out. The reason being that once they get into the moment, their dopamine kicks in. Same thing with work. Sometimes you don't feel like starting your workday, but within an hour of disciplined work, you get into your workflow and then you feel like it, right? Same with a workout. You might not feel like working out, but you go into the gym, you start warming up, you do your first few sets, all of a sudden you start feeling like it. So that would be the first thing is the lightning bolt of motivation is rarely going to strike you out of nowhere and make you feel like it. Rather, you need the discipline to at least initiate and build- Yeah, a motivation is stepping. not a sustainable strategy. Yeah. Exactly. You just got to be able to baby step yourself and take an action until you feel motivated. Same with getting out of bed. Nobody feels like getting out of bed in the morning, but you do it. And then once your state changes, you get used to it, then you're in the momentum of being awake. That And for some people, it's hard to get back to sleep. So it just depends on the person. But but yeah, so that'd be the first thing is like motivation is not like, it's not going to hit you like a lightning bolt out of the sky. You got to take action first. And that requires discipline. I say the second, you know, toxic mindset thing would be too much outcome dependence and too much impatience with outcome. And you and I touched on this before when you had brought up the point about instant gratification. Very important to rewatch that segment for anybody who feels that they would get more value from that, because that's very important. You know, the last thing you want is to be so outcome dependent that you get pissed off and feel diminished if you don't get the result you want instantly. Cause that's going to kill your motivation to stop from doing anything. And I I have definitely suffered from this toxic trait myself, right? I grew up in the video game culture and You know, video game addiction when I was a kid. So I have also been wired for instant gratification. You know, I have an Instagram, I have a TikTok. So I'm still getting hit with the same stimulus that everybody else is. But you got to fight that conditioning and you got to be able to condition yourself to put in the work to get a long term reward. And that's going to make you so much more successful in business, fitness, even in your relationship. Like you're not going to find the perfect partner. You find the best partner you can. And then you work together as long as that person is committed to growth and learning as well to build the best relationship you can. So I say that's the second thing is, you know, the instant gratification slash outcome dependence mindset. Rather you should be more process oriented, which is hard, but it is going to produce better results and make you happier throughout the process. As you had mentioned earlier as well, Flip, you had said that, you know, the people always feel better on their way up as opposed to maintaining Yeah, the up. same thing so,
1: question with my squash trainer who said like what goals you want to achieve. And I said, you know what? I want to keep growing in certain areas and I still want to keep on enjoying it. Because if I make it about the goal, you know, then then I get like disappointed. If people want to check out more about you, your work on your social media platforms, all the programs you offer, where can they find out more about all the body transformation, mental transformation you're providing? Yeah, definitely. So we'll put my social
2: links below. So I have Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. Those are kind of my three main platforms. Definitely give me a follow on Instagram at MOUmoumuscle. Uh, moving muscle. That's my Instagram, my main platform. And then obviously I've got a YouTube, so we'll have the links below. Got a lot of deep dive YouTube videos where I go deeper into the posture principles, some nutrition stuff and anything else that you want just send me a message or drop a comment. And I'm happy to cover any other video. Because I want to make sure that if you're watching my stuff, that you're getting massive value specific to you. And of course, if you want more additional specific help, feel free to shoot me a message. And I can give you some advice as
1: well. Last question. What is some myth in the fitness industry or scam that you see all the time and that's, that people should be very wary of? Because I sometimes hear stories about this stuff and transformation videos and pictures that... Yeah. Okay. So supplements. Okay.
2: Supplements are great. Like in theory, they all work, right? But the thing is that if you don't have the fundamentals of nutrition and training down, you're just trying to hack your way to a quick result with a magic pill. But there is no magic pill. You do have to build the rhythm and have the discipline to stick to it till you have the new habits that enhance and enrich your life. Fitness should enhance and enrich your life. It shouldn't take time and energy away from you. It should give you more time and energy, which is why having the right strategy with the right metabolism, hormones, health, rhythm specific to you is so important. Everything we talked about today. But you know you you have to do that. You can't just take a magic pill and feel motivated. You can't just take a magic pill and have your dream body. You know even if you take steroids, but you don't work out, you're just going to get fat. Like I've seen a lot of guys do it, where they're like, "Hey, I don't want to work out. I'm just going to take steroids." And I tell them, "No. Even if you're going to take steroids, you still got to work out." But they go take steroids and actually gain fat from the steroids because you know they increase their appetite, but they're not working out. So you know, you got to make sure that you put in the work, be wary of like the scams and supplements. Now, once you have a good rhythm, then there, of course, there are some supplements that are scientifically proven to enhance your results in different ways. But, you know, don't try to go the magic pill route. And anybody who's trying to sell you a magic pill without the fundamentals of nutrition, exercise, and healthy habits and lifestyle is scamming you. So definitely be wary of that. 100%
1: agree. The magic pill is personal responsibility and don't optimize on the 5% margin when you don't have the 80% in check. Thanks so much for giving a realistic view of uh, building a better body and being in the best shape ever. And thanks for being a guest on the podcast, Munir. Thank you, bro. It's been an honor. Thank you so much.
0: If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and support our mission of freedom of speech. With increasing restrictions on fundamental freedoms, we believe that now more than ever is the time for you to be an online coach or consultant and become independent from the system. That's why we created the Client Closer Academy. Learn how to consistently enroll clients and join a community of fellow free thinkers who value personal responsibility, speaking their truth and making an impact. Find out more at ClientCloser.com slash Academy. Rant over.